Damaged Goods Podcast. Right. Yo, we, we got a handle on things, but like, I don't know, man. I just look at it like truly late blooming. I don't know if it was hip hop that did it to us, but it's also just, you know, when it money management, health, just yeah. different things where I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting like a handle on this shit until my late 30s. And, I mean, and it's kind of wild to wrap the head around. Yeah, it's better late than never. You got to take care of that shit, you know. Um, it's, it's if you can get a jump on it, it's cool. If if you get onto it later, better than not at all, you know. But I mean, some people are so driven by their responsibilities that I think sometimes they grow older a little faster. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. And I have friends doing that. Looks really unappealing to me. Looks miserable to me. But that's me. You might love that. And someone says to me, yo, Snake Man, like, you got to grow up. I'm like, yo, you got to grow down, dude. You're younger than me acting like you're 50. Like, you know, like, lighten up. Don't be an old man before you're an old man, you know? And, and the grass is never greener. Yeah, There's exactly. A, there's aspects of our lives that sometimes the people in that position will look at like, man, I wish I could do what you do. Or I, I wish I had a creative outlet like you have. Or, I wish I had the stability that y'all had. Bro. You know what I mean? That's a that's a great point because uh my, my last episode, me and my guests were talking about that. And that great point is made by my my good friend, incredible DJ producer, a damaged goods podcast alum, my man DJ Kerosene. Book direct from Atlanta, and he brings up a great point. Uh, I was talking with my my last guest about as an artist, at least for me, I do crave that stability. Or that go to your nine to five, punch out, and when you go home, it's gone. You're not stressing, you're chilling. And they always say, oh, it must be cool having, you know, what you do. But for, at least for me, it like doesn't go off up here. I'm always thinking about artistic shit or work shit, or sometimes you're popping the emails in the middle of the night or on a Sunday or whatever, you know? And then sometimes you don't do shit for five days, but it's, you kind of crave the stability and then they think, oh, that must be fun. I hate my stable, boring job. So I want to do what you do, you know? And then, and then the, the parts of it, that they look at as the perks. It's like, you know, whether it be, you know, working with celebrities or famous people, like that's the shit that don't even matter or phase us. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not what I brag about when I run down the resume. I, I take more pride in being able to express myself or pay the bills off something I'm doing artistically. Like that's the accomplishment part, not the, you know, yeah, the rappers I've to work with and this and this and that, you know what I mean? It's, it's the, the, for me, it's like a liberation or some kind of freedom that you're not necessarily subservient to a bit bigger corporation, an entity, a boss breathing down your neck where you feel like this pressure, you got to do the job, but you're scared if you mess one thing up, you're going to get canned. And you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's kind of a nice thing to not have that. But at the same time, you'll get your own anxiety because you're like, yo, if I don't DJ this gig or write this book or do this and that, am I going to pay for that car payment, that rent, you know, that medical, yeah. you know? So it's, yeah. it is like a, the grass is always greener thing. You remember that MF Doom line where he's like, I just came from over there. The grass is greener. I always liked that because it was like, I don't know, just kind of debunks that joke. But it's obviously kind of a humorous humorous lyric yeah i mean i i gave it a shot at one time there was like i want to say six six years ago you know i I was really fed up with the game i was fed up with nightlife i was Uh. you know just just fed up with the music i had to play at certain type of venues and Uh. looking for a bit of a different lifestyle which i still am but i'm in a better space 
when it yeah. comes to music, music and DJing now. But it's like, bro, I fucking tried selling life insurance for a few months. Right? <laughs> Yo, that's a huge signal. When anyone's trying to do that, it's like, what else can I do? I'm hitting a wall. I'll sell that. Like when we were like younger, we had one of our friends who was kind of always bouncing around and then he's coming to us. I'm like 30 years old trying to sell me life insurance. And I'm like, bro, what do you, I don't have a wife or kids. Why are you trying to sell me life insurance, dog? You know, like, no, not, like bro, like I, I do believe in the product. Like, oh, I think yeah, yeah, but I was a 30 year old, you know, I was a young. Line of, as far as a line of work, like, man, that shit was an absolute disaster. I got sold, I got sold the dream, but at the same time, I'm like, Man, I'm glad I got to see that side of the game. Yeah. Because it's like I know now I got the hands-on experience to know that that shit ain't for me. And then when I when I left the DJ game briefly for about four or five months, like, my phone started ringing for more gigs when I was gone. Like, yo, Kerosene, where you at? We want you for this and that. And, you know, it kind of snowballed, yeah. you know, back into my hands when I came back. You know what I mean? Did your experience trying to do that job, like, reinvigorate your passion to DJ where you're like, yo, I fucking hate this shit. I'm going to go back and get heavy in the game and do my shit. It didn't necessarily reinvigorate me, but it woke me up to all the aspects about this lifestyle that I had been taken for granted. Hmm. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, I got to get back to this kerosene persona because it's like, I don't even look at it like a persona. It's who I am, but, you know, just... 38 now so for the better part of 20 plus years you know I control my day I wake up whenever I want I wear whatever I want I deal with whoever I want and just you know even the aspect even the aspect of you know essentially getting paid to party is is ridiculous you know what I mean and it's like I gotta walk the fine line with it and not let it you know take over your life as far as the substances and the hours and and all that but just you know, it's it's not. I was having this conversation with one of my DJ homies recently, and and uh, some rappers as well. And it's like we've been doing this shit for so long, and are in such a blessed position to be able to make a living off of it. That sometimes we forget that this shit is not normal. Oh, like dude. we're 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 superheroes in, to a certain extent. You know what I mean? It's a small percentage of the population works in entertainment, or even smaller in music, and to the level where you know you have a job that you don't have the regular hours and have the regular shit and you do kind of look like a superhero because the people that go to your nights to see you dj go to club they do that like once twice a month after their job they go to their 40 50 hour 60 hour week job and they see this dude and i'm like this motherfucker got paid as much as i did today i sat in the office for 10 hours and he's gonna dj for two hours and he's wearing whatever the clothes he wants and he's drinking a beer you know like it looks cool because it is cool it's fucking awesome you know but then it's like yeah i've never been able to relate to looking forward to the weekend you know I, like i hate the, the weekend there was that, i hate the weekend there, there was one point i mean i'm i'm back to you know and i'm very grateful for it like post not even post pandemic we're still in the pandemic but like i'm back to working every friday and saturday and there there was one time out here in atlanta where i went 5 years straight djing at the same place every Friday and Saturday. So you just got to think like for five years, I was never able to do anything else with my weekend or, you oh, know, yeah. I didn't that's when, that. when people take their trips or, yeah. you know, it's like Mondays are, on the weekends. Mondays are my Friday nights. You know what I'm saying? 
that's always been my style and I like it because like I hate going out on a Friday or Saturday night myself because you're just dealing with anyone who most people that's the night they go out so if you go on a Monday a Wednesday whatever I love it it's people who I don't know have a more flexible schedule and less people I find it to be more fun less bullshit you know mm-hmm. that's me though but I mean I, I just like I love seeing people you know express and be open about their doubts about what they're doing and then kind of find their confidence again like what you're describing because i've gone through that i think a lot of artists go through it but don't share that you know yeah i that that point where i tried to quit and did did the life insurance thing and come back and didn't really reinvigorate it i got more reinvigorated you know during the pandemic and during the past few years and just getting a little older as far as just really getting more comfortable in my own lane Mm -hmm. and not you know, just the market that I'm in and just realizing that I don't really have a lot of traffic in this lane. And that's what kind of got me invigorated. What do you mean by like uh, not having a lot of traffic in that lane? What does that mean? You know, it's just, I take pride, not not to toot the horn, but just like everyone talks about being, you know, everyone's a walking brand and everyone's social media is a walking brand. But as far as my quote unquote brand, like I just wanted to get to the point where if you come to Atlanta and you're looking for real hip hop or boom bap or anything along those lines or categories, you got to go through kerosene. You yeah. know what I mean? And like an, like an ambassador. Yeah. And, and, the, and the game is so saturated and there's so much fuckery and it, it can get frustrating. And um, there's a lot of old school or traditional purist principles that I still operate on that, you know, I don't know how long some of those principles are going to be able to work, but it's like, I still feel like I got a responsibility to carry on tradition. Yeah, like the non song, carry on tradition, always makes me think of that. Yeah, man. And, and then, you know, just, just, just standing out. Like, like one of my homies told me that a lot of this shit, whether it's Atlanta, LA, New York, wherever, like you could put a blindfold on and walk in any of these clubs or lounges or bars and you won't know who's spinning. It's just oh, like, it's like wheel of fortune. But with me, like you're going to know it's me. You know what I mean? It's that homogenization. Like when everything's corporatized, you know, and like you, the radio stations play the same shit. The, the production sounds the same. Your vocal tone, the way you write a hook, all that shit, you can't tell it apart, you know? And I really hate that because it just feels... Um, like corporate to me, you know? Uh, right. Yeah, just mass produced. When it's like, you know, this is this guy's beats or this rapper only raps over these kind of beats and he does these hooks and it's like, oh, that's that's you. I always know that's you when I hear you. But I hear a lot of people, I'm like, who's this? Is this blah, blah, blah? And someone's like, no, it's this other guy. But I can't fucking tell the difference, you know? Um, and a lot of the people jumping in the game now are being conditioned to and I, approach, I, approach the game from that corporate outlook themselves and on some like i'm gonna do whatever quote unquote works where i'm the opposite like i'm not gonna adjust to the game i'm gonna make the game adjust to me you know what i mean i think that's a good strategy too and it's kind of like a longer term one like a slow burn you know make right away it might not be paying off but in the long run you establish your niche you you establish what you're known for so people like oh yeah kerosene is that dude for this and I feel like it gets you a lot of respect over time and you have like hardcore fans, you know, like a flash in the pan artist who maybe has the hot sound or has the hot 
you know, cosine. They might pop for a little bit. But over time, you know, when the next trend comes in and that guy's not doing it, you're gone. But if you always kind of keep it, I hate saying keep it real, but you keep it true to your, your personal style, your personal vibe, you will keep attracting fans over time that always will want to rock with that. You know what I'm saying? And you have like a constant fan base that'll gross like exponentially, you know? Yeah, and I think you, with that, you got to keep it true yeah. to your whole reason that you're doing it. And I think that's a big difference now, too, where people are approaching it with the corporate mind state. People are approaching it to the, with the, you know, I'm going to just get to the bag. But it's like a, a lot of these young kids, like some young DJs, when they reach out to me and it's just like, you know, I'm going through a tough time with this shit. And it's like, you've only been DJing for a year. And I tell them, like, I didn't even start making, I didn't even start making any money from this shit until I was a decade in. Because when I, when I got my turntables in the 90s and when I was rapping and trying graph, break dancing, like every element, I was not thinking of making a dollar from any of this shit. And yeah, like in all honesty, the older I get, I'm definitely putting more pressure on myself financially as time goes by. So I'm not going to front like I'm not trying to get paid, but it's like I got in this shit for a different reason. So I feel I have different responsibilities and for better or worse, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of those shit, a lot of those principles, I just can't shake. Yeah. I I feel you. And I can't too. And I think there's periods where I felt like people who still adhered to those, those principles, you were like criticized for it. And, uh, I think like, you know, there's nothing wrong with sticking to your guns. If you have certain standards and principles, you know, you might not get everyone on your side all the time, but you, you won't feel like shit at night. You'll sleep better when you put your head on your pillow and you know that your craft, your output, whatever you're doing isn't diluted. It's your choice. So if kerosene makes a mistake or something doesn't work out in your career, it's your fault, but it's not because you didn't listen to yourself and you listen to like this guy, Joe Schmo, the club promoter or the fucking record label or the radio guy. And now you do some shit that doesn't work and you hate it. And you're more mad at yourself for like listening to them instead of your gut, you know? Yeah. And I have zero bitterness or regret towards other people, whether it's, you know, record label people or club owners. or It's like I chose to go any of those routes. A lot of them, even if I did have bad experiences, like I learned a lot just as far as the industry and the labels, like just being on that side on like, you know, high end, big scale projects and artists and tours and stuff like that. Like seeing how many people are in this industry that don't even love music. Like, oh, they just I'm not saying money. you've got to be passionate about hip hop to do well at your job, but it's definitely like it's it's gonna create friction and you're gonna you'll do that much better if you are passionate about it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Anybody who likes what they're doing is gonna work harder and more enjoy it. Like my, my father always taught me this way back in the day. If if people are working for somebody or say you have people working for you, whether it's like your manager, your your employees at the restaurant, your whatever. You know, there's like two ways to motivate them or there's two ways for you to be motivated in your work is either by like a fear or respect. Some people are scared they're going to get fired or lose their job. So they'll work hard enough to keep the job, but just hard enough to work, do that because they, they have a resentment towards, you know, whatever. But if they respect you, right, or have like some love for you, they'll go maybe even a little extra because there's like a passion there, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. fuck. 
No doubt. With, with the that's my perspective. But then again, I don't run like a restaurant. Nobody works for me right now. I have like a lawyer, but you know. So. Well, with with the respect and uh, you know, especially when it comes to the world, because I still consider you part of the hip hop world. Like even if you're not actively pursuing like a rap career necessarily, it, it, it is is what you come from. Yeah. You're still an active participant, like radio shows. I play new hip hop on radio shows. I, I interview dudes in the community, like yourself. Exactly. You're you're still putting people on to, you know, the creators, and and you're a creator yourself. So it's like, do you feel uh, shit has got like a little too kumbaya? Like, um, you think the competitive competitiveness is still in it? Like, did. You know, you know, I was on cloud nine last week with the lock shit, man. Like, I know what you mean. Um, well, I feel like um, there's definitely like this, like a thing in the in the music industry. I remember feeling this when I was an artist, and it was the thing I hated the most about being an artist. And I see other people I'm cool with that are still artists, and I see them doing this, and I get why they have to do it. So I can't shit on them because I kind of did it too, but I fucking hated it. Is pretending you like certain people, certain artists, certain things, or at least mm. not speaking out about it because you can get blackballed, lose a relationship, mm. not get hooked up. So I'll hear DJs like playing records like they, I know you don't like that. Or, or rappers saying nice things about other people. And I know you don't like this shit, but you have to because you're scared. And I did it too. And it was like faking the funk. So I go to these industry parties at clubs, meeting managers, like doing all this shit, meeting another artist to shake hands because maybe I get a free verse or I get on a show. And I'm like, I don't even like these dudes. I'm faking it. It's like going to sell fucking life insurance. You got to sell a dream. I'm selling that I actually don't not like you. But in reality, I wish I was more like a Sean P at the time. Like, uh, nah, fuck you. That's just corny, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said that because I can speak on it from a DJ standpoint where I wouldn't say it's too much of fear but I think it comes back to that people's intention and reason for being in the game where yeah. if people are coming in it on some, I'm just trying to get to the bag, then it's like they're willing to set aside like their personal interests or their integrity. And it's just like, you know, I feel like the, the DJ got turned into a jukebox, man. And it's just like- yeah, Especially the, the radio DJ, I feel like even yeah, more. The, the radio aspect of it, the strip club aspect of it, like, that you know the trap music world of it to where like on the on the industry side and on the dj side like motherfuckers is really just finessing each other man and it's just like you can't what, what did sean p say man he's like i remember when they used to i remember when djs used to check for a record now they want to check for a record no that was like, his line because if anybody who doesn't understand the not just hip-hop the music industry talking about commercial music Payola is real deal. It's been there. It's still there. And your favorite artist to get broken, we're spending a lot of money. And, and any up and coming artist trying to get commercial love is spending money. And it, I, I just noticed from firsthand, it's a real thing. It exists. Like every genre. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I'm just, I'm not even going to speak ill and, and try to like drop names, but from my time in the industry and having managers and people in high places, a lot of big artists that you and I and everyone knows, I know for a fact, Grease Palms, and it had to be done, or labels. And it was never, a, a, it was always an under the table thing, because this is a no-no. But even label representatives and managers and radio people, they all knew it was a no-no, but it's done under the table. Oh no, it's fully, it's fully accepted, man. I'd say it's more prevalent than ever. And I would, that's why I've always said that radio 
you know, even as a dying art form, radio is not the music business. It's the advertising business. Yeah. Yeah. And advertising comes down to dollars. But it's like when you, when you extend that spider web into the labels and then the artists themselves, it just, it, it puts the commerce over the creativity. It takes the art out of it. And it's just like, all right, we're going to do, we're going to, the artist is like, I'm going to do whatever works that's going to, you know, that's going to get the most people. The DJ is going to be like, I'm going to take, if you're going to pay me for it, then Why would I'll you? gladly take it. You know what I mean? And I just look at it as the difference between like, you know, opening a fast food restaurant compared to opening a vegan or a soul food restaurant. Like the, the fast food restaurant obviously is going to get more customers and maybe make more money. But that soul food, that vegan spot is really going to be better for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a good analogy, man. I mean, well, reflecting on that, like, so you're a DJ, you got a good ear to the streets and the sounds, and you're talking about this. What, what uh, secretive information, blackmailable knowledge does Hip Boy have over Nas that he does two back-to-back albums with him? And it's not, <laughs> Nas is one of the, the rare artists who doesn't need to operate at this level anymore within the commercial realm. He's kind of like a legacy artist. He could kind of do whatever he wants, right? And he chose not only one, but two albums back to back with Hip Boy. And uh, I, I'll go first to say this, Nas is like a top three for me. Fucking love him. So I'm not trying to be a fucking dickhead critic, but um, I look forward to Nas albums. And the first one, the last one that came out last summer, the first King's Disease, I was like, ah, ah, you know? And then the new one comes out and I'm like, again, Hip Boy, round two. Nas, damn. Did we lose kerosene? He might come back in a second. There he is. That's my guy. Yeah. Just, but, but I, I, I would say probably just start. Yeah. I would say probably just start the hip boy question over. Yeah. So, I mean, like, basically, my question is you, do you, what do you think of the new one, the King's Disease 2, the new Nas and Hip Boy album? Hey, man, I, I'll put it like this. Like, it's no secret, you know, Nas, my favorite rapper in the game, you know, had, had the opportunity. Oh, opening yeah. act for Lauren Hill and Nas, like, you know, just had had a lot of amazing interactions with him. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, man, like, I'm not going to front. I'm like everyone else, man. If I could have any okay. going Pete Rock, just like yeah, everyone cool. else wants, man. But it's like, and, I, and I, I can't say I was, like, a big fan of Hit Boy prior to this. I think he did lace Benny on the Burden of Proof album. I, I wasn't really a fan of the first King's Disease. The second just, one's better. Um, I, I liked about half of it production-wise, but I still thought it was a strong album. I didn't really find any faults in Nas's content yeah. or bars and all that. Yeah. This one, man, I, I think they came with it. I think they nailed it. I think it's a bold statement. I think it's possibly a standout in Nas' catalog. Like, mm-hmm. no lie, and it's just like as much as you know, I want to hear Nas and Primo or Nas just on some dusty boom bap shit because that's my sort of shit. Yeah. I think this is like, I think Nas is really being true to himself and I like that. Like, and we don't have enough examples of that, of, you know, Nas and whole artists like going into their 50s, yeah. making, making sophisticated hip hop, if you want to yeah. call it that. And I think Hip Boy kind of, you know, I'm listening to some of the drums 
and some of the samples on this new one. And I'm like, I right, this dude has definitely been studying Derringer's cookbook. You know, <laughs> I think it's like on some steel start sharp and steel, but it's like, I enjoy, I enjoyed it, man. I think it was more boom bap. I think the bars was crazy. I think yeah. Nas is being true to himself. And then it's like, you know, the joints like uh, brunch on Sundays, man. Like I got homies where it's like, yeah, this is weird. Like I don't really want to hear Nas rap about brunch on Sundays, but I'm like, no. I'm like, bro, that's because you don't go to brunch on Sundays. But if you did, you'd probably enjoy it. And if you know, if the music is good and there's some pretty women in the building and the drinks are flowing, and it's like, I think he kind of captured that feeling, man. Like I don't, I don't need to hear about the tech on the dresser for 40 years straight. You know what I mean? I thought his I thought his lyrics flow cadence was 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 great. Like the whole album is it's tight, it's tighter than last time. It's just for me, it's the production. And it's just cause like there's a few records I really like, and when it comes to like the soulful production on it, it just feels it does feel kind of plastic. It like it's like you know there's producers it's a glossy. Who, what's up? It's a little glossy, but I, I you know, in this sense funny. I like it. It's but it's no, but it's sometimes the soul sample ones are like trying to be like that, but they just sound like they were made on a triton or something. You know, they don't have the the gritty soul. You know, that was me though. Um, but there's some dope joints on there. I mean, Nas definitely did his thing. I just that's two albums. That was about 34 records together, back to back. And, and I also think the bar, I think the bar is so high for Nas too. Yeah, true. Where, he's, cursed. he's cursed. This is what, but I'm biased, man. Like I fucking like the Nasir shit with Kanye and like everyone hated that shit. Yeah, but I, I, that was tough for me. That was a tough one. There was a couple of joints I didn't like on it, but even with that, I was like, when people were saying like, oh, you know, his flow is off beat and all that. I'm like, nah, to me, this feels like successful drunk, Nah, it's like I'm just fucking around and I'm in a good space. Doing what he wants to do because he can, right? Yeah, man, and I, I kind of like that. As much as I would like to hear something else, yeah. you know, it's like sometimes even with the artists I work with, if they're sending me music to get my feedback, like I'm gonna, I'm not gonna really give you feedback based on like, oh yeah, this one will work in the clubs and this one will work <laughs> in the radio. I'm gonna give you. The, I'm, I'm going to give you the feedback based on what I personally enjoy listening to. And, you know, an artist might send me something and I'll be like, man, I don't really fuck with this at all. Oh. This does, but, but if this is what you feel like as an artist that, that you want to make, who am I to tell you that that's not you? Like, if that's you, then that's your call. And I feel, I feel like Nas is really staying true to himself. And even on like, there was a couple beats on this one I wasn't really fucking with, like, like, or like, like the death, the death row east shit. I wasn't really feeling the beat, but I think for the concept of the record, I think he was just going for something like I could hear Tupac rapping on something like that in 2021 if he was still here. So I think he, I think he nailed what he was supposed to do, and it's just like I'd rather I'd rather listen to a Nas record that I'm not really feeling than like some of the fucking popular bullshit nowadays. You know what I mean? Have you uh have you ever had an artist like an up and coming artist approach you with a record and or whatever and you're like yeah send me the record and have you ever like been straight like nah dog I can't like they want you to play it they want you to spin it and you're like you know what dog I can't I'm just not feeling it. I can't spin it have you ever been straight up to somebody like sorry dude I can't rock with this it's whack um I kind of try to nip that in the bud before they even present me with the records. The bigger problem, 
the bigger problem for me is just like, you know, the up and coming artists that just spam every single DJ and the DMs are just like, or, you know, will, will ask me to get on one of my events. And I'm like, dog, like, you've never been to one of my events. How, that's like going, applying for a job. And it's like, they're like, well, what position do you want? Oh, I don't know. What, whatever position's open. It's like, yeah. nah, man. Like, I kind of try to, at this point, as an artist, if you're coming to me with some records, I try to make sure you know ahead of time, like, this is the sound that I do. Yeah. Go, go to these other, go to these other thousand DJs who are all clones of each other. If you're trying to go that route, but come to me, you know, if you got something. Audience, you got to know what, who you're giving it to. Cause I, I went on my old radio show, we would get sent records and some people would send shit that didn't fit our format. I'm like, have you even heard of the show we do? We don't do like club commercial records. Like don't send me that. Cause I, we can't play it. And like, you should, just kind of do your research, do your recon, you know? Yeah, and it's a shame. It's scary. Like, the amount of times that an artist will come in the, the booth with me and just, like, I've never met you. I don't know who you are. I've never heard your music. And it's like, hey, man, how much I got to pay you to play my record tonight? And I'm like, first off, you can't pay me to play anything I haven't heard. Second, I'm not going to play anything on the spot that I haven't listened to ahead of time. Yeah. And then I'll point out, it's like, do you hear what type of hip hop I'm playing? Like, if you do this, then I'm more than willing to check your shit out. And like, I, at this point, I know how to say this without coming off disrespectfully or making anyone uncomfortable. But it's like, if I'm doing a, a straight 100% boom bat party and a drill artist comes up to me, yeah. I'm like, hey fam, like no disrespect. I don't really do drill music. I know other DJs that do. Here's who you can go to. But, you know what I mean? And I'm not, you know, if a motherfucker walk up and want to put a thousand dollars in my pocket, like <laughs> I'll find, I'll find a way to make something happen. Like, you know what I mean? But and the, the wrestler, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, he always said, everybody's got a price. I love you. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just, but it's just a funny climate where it says a lot that all these artists, like that, that's how they just are comfortable approaching the DJ nowadays. Oh, and like, oh man. That's why I, I bring it back to like, there's responsibility. Like, I'm, I'm definitely, I fall in the line of a selfish artist, a selfish DJ, where I'm not only always thinking of this is just a service and I need to give people whatever they want. Because like I said, if you want fast food, I'm not going to be the guy that serves it to you. And, but I'm also, one of my mottos is just shine the light on the dope shit. Mm. So not only do I want you to come out to a party and like know that it's me spinning and it not sound like anyone else, yeah. But I want to expose you to something dope. I, like, I know people listen to music in a completely different way now. They consume it differently. They go out completely different. And this is where, like, my old school principles kick in. But it's like, I still feel, as a DJ, it's our responsibility to put people on to what needs to be heard. You know what I mean? That was, like, kind of always the, especially in hip-hop, the DJ's role, you know? Like, breaking records. Mm -hmm. show, show people like yo this is the new shit this shit's fire check it out and uh and djs don't really break records anymore in general you know what i'm saying yeah well out of like you know speaking of like you know new artists that you might shine the light on that you're into like who are some of the it doesn't have to be like this year's artists but in the last few years or whoever artists that are making noise uh who are you shining the light on who are you digging i mean of, of course i gotta say nick grant first yeah, yeah, you know what i'm yeah, saying that's uh that, that's who i dj for uh, we got got a lot of shit on the way. You know, we we had a lot of shit 
about to drop right before the pandemic start started and that that put the brakes on everything but yeah Nick Grant, I whole, wholeheartedly stand behind him being the best rapper in the game. And if you don't know that yet, you're going to find out eventually. He's but, nice. Um, He's nice. But, yeah, man, you know, it's like I think Griselda definitely shifted the culture. You know, I've been fucking with them for a long time. And I just, you know, a lot of the artists winning now in, you know, in my world, who I'm a fan of, I, I you know, I'm just happy that it's a time that that sound is being embraced. So I'm just talking about cats like, I think Rome Streets is having an amazing year. I think I think Ransom has made like one of the best comebacks of all no, time. I love a good comeback, dude. Who doesn't love a good comeback or a reinvention, dude? Yeah, R- Ransom is just bodying everything left and right. Um, listening to a lot of Nems, just like you know the aggression that he's bringing into it, and then just still you know a lot of the homies back home in Boston, man. I mean. OD, Bloody Bean, you know, he's still doing his thing. Finelia, I be keeping up the shit all the time. Finelia back, you know, Finelia back on the tear. Mm -hmm. Um, 211 Gang, Riz Advocate, Easy Money has been bodying everything left and right. Like, I I could keep going down the list, man. And, like, that kind of brings it back to what we were saying with Nas. Like, I don't even need Nas to do the grimy, soulful street shit, because I got all these other cats that got me more than covered with that, you know? Filling the void, uh, sufficing the needs, all that shit, man. That's good, bro. That's good. Yeah, man. man. I'm, I'm sure I'm, for, I'm forgetting some people, for sure. Oh. And then there, there's all the homies down here in Atlanta. Like, you know, my, my brother, my brother, a.k.a. Arch Nemesis, Dylan, with a full plate. Um, you know, my man, Yamin and DT. Uh, Four Eyes and Chaos, Ultra Beast, my man Lean Capital, Jigs, like a lot of the cats that I've been having perform at my event, the Nod, that, you know, there's a lot of dope talent out there, man, but it's just, there's so much shit out there where, you know, sitting with it and marinating with it is like, it's impossible. Lost art, art, man. Yeah, dude, it's so goddamn hard. And Willie the Kid, fucking body and everything. You've always loved Willie the Kid, too. You've always loved him. Yeah, there's so many, man. There's so many. I'm sweating bullets in here, and I'm trying to think about you DJing with that hair and that beard, like how you must be just dripping wet after a gig. Because I'm, it's mad hot in my crib right now. Dude. I'm like, sh- I mean, I'm glistening. Dude. I'm sweating. I look like a shiny ass motherfucker. But if you're DJing, you got that big ass hair and big ass beard. For anybody just listening and not watching, listen with your eyes and envision kerosene with a huge beard, big hair, and just DJing covered in sweat or not. Nah, man, like, th- this is, you know, I, it's not my clothes. Like, the this is my drip. You know what I mean? Like, of, co- of, course, been rocking the, of course, been rocking the beard for a long time. But, the you know, with the hair now, you know, I'm the first samurai. I'm, I'm the ghetto Gandalf. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm hip-hop's Bee Gees. You know what I mean? Yo, just- yo kerosene has got a great look. And you do have this beautiful, magical combination, a blended <laughs> style of, like, Yusef Islam slash Cat Stevens slash like The Last Samurai slash like might not be allowed to board a plane if TSA is having a bad day. It's fucking great, dude. You know, it's, it's awesome. But I just, I'd probably be hot as fuck if I was you DJing in a club or in steamy ass Atlanta. I don't know. Nah, for some reason, the hair don't do that, man. It, it definitely did. It did more when I was uh, DJing in the crib, IG Live during quarantine and all that. Sweating bullets. Yeah, getting, but you know, getting trashed in my bedroom, like never really drank at home before that. And that, never that brought know. the sweat whoa, whoa, whoa. out. That wasn't really the hair. You've never drank in liquor at your residence ever before? Not in general, man. Like, you know, I, I, I don't, 
always kept liquor at home, but like I, I never really drank solo alone, and I, I don't really. Stepping on my world sometime, brother. Nah, it's a slippery slope, man. I, I, I drink more than enough uh, when I DJ and when I'm out. But uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, quarantine, man. Like with with DJing online and all that. Like, yeah, I was getting fucking. I was getting slathered, man, like, and at home, like, in my room, and, like, there were parts of, like, it was just dope to do, to do, I'm saying it's dope to get slathered, but it was dope to do that and not have to worry about drunk driving. And There's people out there, like, dude, I, you know, I don't know if you know who George Thorogood is, George Thorogood, Little Feet, they're a classic rock band, and he has a song called I Drink Alone, and uh, sometime in my late 20s, I, like, was out and about in New York a lot, and I'd be like alone killing time before a show or studio time, but just sad days. I'm like, not sad days, but whatever. And I would like drink alone and go to a bar, but I didn't know nobody. I would drink alone and I write, uh, you know, lyrics, poetry, book shit, just whatever. Or like even now, I do that shit. I found like this solace in it. Like I liked it. So, I mean, I like socializing. Partying is fun. Yeah. I was enjoying it. Drink, I drink alone when I'm out at a bar or something like that. But like, for some reason, I just never really drank at home. Now I've always been a heavy drinker. The alcohol has always been one of the vices. Uh, I, de- you know, I'm definitely a binge drinker. You know, I'm drinking I- two different alcoholic beverages right now. I have a, a Modelo and a vodka soda. I don't yeah, know. but you know, I, I did, did, I'm treating this like this new virtual Zoom world. Like we're at the bar just shooting the shit. You know what also, I mean? I mean, also we don't have to justify what we're doing. I mean, dude, you and I work on our own schedule, do our own thing. I had a stressful ass night and morning, so I was like, "Fuck it, I'm about to do a podcast with my man, have a couple of drinks." I don't give a fuck. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, and like that, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because like I've, I've never, in addition to like the drinking at home thing, like if I'm super stressed or that's when like I won't turn to alcohol. Like I'm I'm more prone to turn to it if I'm in a good mood or if I'm celebrating, but especially when I'm out. And like I'm not gonna deny like I've definitely relied on it as a crutch when it comes to DJing and when it comes to socializing, but it's just about having a level of self-awareness to recognize when it's becoming a problem or, you know, really yeah. making irresponsible decisions and bringing possible horrible consequences into it. And it's just like, you know, I can't believe the shit I got away with in my 20s and early 30s. So I kind of owe it to myself to <laughs> step it up. And I say that and I still get drunk every fucking weekend when I DJ, you know what I mean? I mean, dude, there's, there's things I've done recently that I'm like, holy fuck, how did I get away with that? And it's like, I've made some of these horrible decisions dead sober. Like, you know, like, like, Wow, I can't believe I did that, and I had no substances in me, you know. So, mm, okay. you know, for me, it's like I, I, um, people think, you know, if you get drunk or high or you know drugs, like you're gonna be uh, kind of more aggressive or maybe start a fight or be crazy or like do some stu- stupid shit. But for me, I'm always way chiller if I'm drinking or you know, smoking or whatever. For some reason, I'm better socially. I'm not as aggressive. I'm not as whatever. When I'm sober, I'm very prone to like snap. I have like a bad temper. So I think that's why I've always leaned towards substances because it keeps me chiller. Dead sober, like going to run errands at the post office, I might jump out the car and start a fight. Like I, I can't help it. I don't know. That's not a good thing. I'm not bragging. But I think that's yeah. why personally, I've always veered toward that shit. I've never started a fight in my life, but drunk, I've never done that. I've done all that shit sober though, you know? But now it's like we get the added bonus of all of us being on fucking edge right now with, yeah. you know, 
yeah, the life, the world, the, the state of the world. That's why I tune out as much as I can from like, whoa, I don't watch news no more. Like last summer, I changed my whole, my mentality and my intake of, of news and politics, even from the independent places I was getting it. Stop listening to those podcasts. I don't do that. And I'll use my social media early in the mornings, post my shit, promote my shit, and then I'll delete the apps. And then the next day, I have to like re-download them to post. But that way, I'm not like always on that shit, you know? Because it fucks with my head. I can't yeah, man. It's just like you're feeding yourself that shit. And I'm the same way, man. Like, I'll... I'll tap into the news briefly, but just because I wanna, I wanna at least have a perspective on what What's we see on? so many other people just taking as gospel. So it's like, I, I can at least have some sort of an informed opinion on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I said some shit the other day on Twitter and I keep things like vague when I write, like just when I write books or poetry or even these statements, cause it's not about a political situation right now per se. It's more of like a blanket statement that could transcend time. You could apply it in 10 years. That's what I want to do. Like just when I read other ill writers from the seventies or like the eighties, they'll say shit that could have been said now. So mm -hmm. I said something like, uh, you know, some people don't believe, um, I'm paraphrasing myself and fucking myself up. Anyway, uh, something like, you know, people won't believe anything until their favorite media outlet reports it, then it's okay. Or whatever their favorite media outlet reports, they believe wholeheartedly, blindly, like, you know, uh, just cause, you know? They're looking for the they're looking for the conf confirmation bias, and then yeah. you, know, you you even had told me something earlier about you know whether it's the government or the media, you you take these these bodies these organizations that people haven't trusted yeah. or talk shit about all this time, and then it's like now all of a sudden you trust them like Dude, these are just, the same people that have you hated and that have fucked you or your people over or the, the people over. And some of that shit is an opinion. Like, it's undebatable. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, undebatable, man. It's wild, man. Uh, yo, it's mad funny. So, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my girl and I were up, uh, you know, North Malibu. And we were near a spot where I took you once when you were out here visiting. We went, like, I surfed. We chilled at this beach and shit. She's like, oh, what was your boy's name we came here with? I was like, oh, my boy, Karis. And she's like, oh, yeah, that was dope. What's up with him? I was like, oh, he's you know, DJing in Atlanta, this and that. But it made me think of you when I saw the picture of us like on the beach and shit like that. Your hair was much shorter then, but the beard was diesel. But yeah, I remember that. I was like, I think that was the last time I might have seen you in the physical. Yeah, I was, rocking, after I was rocking the John B 2.1 for like 20 years. But I, mean, I, don't, so was I. <laughs> I don't know if that was the last time. No, I, right. I might have seen you after that in, in the A, actually, in Atlanta. Yeah, you got to come back to Atlanta so we can do our, you know, oh, our strip club, our strip club runs. You know, go, go and get tatted up by Bundy. Yes. You know, we, de oh. we definitely got to get all three of us yeah. on, on a podcast. You I'm know, the dying for that, I've been dying for that. That'd be great. My, yeah. Myself, myself, uh, Jake, and Bundy, we got like, what, probably three DM threads going where we just it's sent so like confusing. most obnoxious. We have three of them. It's the same three people, but yeah, we have multiple. And uh, the man Bundy, who Kerosene's referring to, is a uh, tattoo artist and a visual artist, Prof Bundy. Very talented gentleman, mm -hmm. elusive man. Got to get him on the podcast. But uh, yeah, fellow fellow Boston hooligan. Yeah, yeah. very much a hooligan and a, in a in a dope uh, artist, a tattoo artist. He's done some work on me. He does his thing. He's very good. Hell See, yeah. He's always posting pictures of like tattooing girls and like their nether regions or their butts and vagina. <laughs> like, I you know they always think like you know a gynecologist or a, a male doctor if he has female patients is. 
professional and like whatever. But then there's stories that like a creepy gynecologist did some shady shit. I wonder how many tattoo artists who tattoo girls in the nether regions are like professional or do you think they're like looking at all the whole time, you know? Not, uh, not Prof, he's cool. I'm talking other uh, guys. He, he, super, super duper professional with the shit. But yeah, not Prof, one of the only other guys. He's very pro. Yeah, definitely the ones with the, uh, the, the creepy reputations, that's for sure. Yeah. And Prof, he, Prof tattooed my nether regions, didn't look at me once. He was totally oh. cool. Did not. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no tattoos in my nether. Nothing below my waist, actually. Not even on my. Prof did my sleeves. You know, oh, yeah, those are crispy, bro. Hell yeah. Prof did a few things on me. He's a, he's a very talented man. Although, like, I wouldn't, like, right now, tattoos in the summer, I feel like is a hectic thing to do because it's hot and, like, you're out in the sun and they're fresh, you know, you don't want to get them. Yeah, I learned my lesson with that, like, not being able to get in the pool or the ocean for the whole summer, or like wearing long sleeve t-shirts. But then, you know, you see, you know how it is, Jake, like seeing motherfuckers that go and get a tattoo and they just, Dude. they out, they out and about that day. Like, you know. I've done that when I was young and ruined the tattoo. I went swimming like four days after in a pool and the chlorine faded this one on my chest. I was like, what the fuck? So I had to get it refilled in. And I never knew that you couldn't go in a chlorine pool, could kind of thin the ink out, like in less than two weeks. Mm -hmm. I was like, fuck, man. Then I had to get it done again. It's like now you're hurting yourself twice. Yeah, you gotta come come get some work from Bundy, man. We gotta get you down here, man. We just had a, I just had Mr. Peter Parker down here a few weeks ago from my, from my event for the nod. So yeah, that looks dope. So that's your uh, tell people what that's about your DJ night, the nod. Yeah, so I do an event called the nod. You know, it's short for the head nod. I started it in 2018. I'm um, at a legendary venue called Sound Table. Um, and just, you know, the tagline for it is it's Atlanta's only strictly boom bap hip hop party. And it's not just, you know, it's not just strictly 90s. You know, we're not just playing shook ones and who got the props all night. Like the, the emphasis on it is, and we can do that and we love that and we play it. But the emphasis is, you know, to move the needle and really in this market in Atlanta to where, you know, if a Benny or a Freddie Gibbs or a Willie the Kid or a Ransom drops a new album, I just wanted there to be an outlet for people to hear it in a nightlife and a party setting. And, you know, I just started feeling like a lot of this music has gotten, you know, relegated to just the household or the headphones or the car or when you're in the gym or satellite radio. And just, you know, I was, you know, that's a good point, dude. That's a really good point, actually. I was discovering for a while, I was discovering most most of the new music, like outside of the relationships with the artists themselves or social media or streaming services or whatever. Like I was religiously listening to like on satellite radio, static show, Tony Touch, DJ mm -hmm. Premier, Track Star, and just thinking, like, you know, why why can't we play this at a bar or a venue or whatever? And that you know, I just kind of wanted to step up and um, create that platform in Atlanta and then at the same time give other DJs and artists who want to play that type of hip-hop or make that type of hip-hop um, an outlet for them to do that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I brought it, I put it on pause for a while. We've done, you know, I've been doing it quarterly since the top of the year. Um, I've been doing it at a spot, R Bar on Edgewood Avenue, downtown Atlanta. Um, I got a super dope brewery based out of Athens, Georgia, called 
Creature Comforts that's been sponsoring it. Where is that um, that city or town? Because I've heard of, uh, of Athens a lot. I guess there's a lot of comedians that go there. There's comedy clubs or something. Yeah, big college town. I, I want to say like maybe about an hour northeast of Atlanta. Um, so yeah, Creature Comforts based out of there. They they sponsoring it. And um, yeah, man, just kind of it's been going great. I'm I'm putting things on hold briefly right now just to see how this COVID shit develops over the next few months. I mean, yeah, it's- Are they, are they like uh, kind of shutting down live? Nah, not at all. And like Atlanta damn near never shut down, but it's just, yeah, yeah. you know, just, just on a, doing it on an ethical level and then just on a not knowing what's going to happen. And I'm really trying to upgrade it now, you know, yeah. book bigger names, book bigger DJs, make it, you know, my whole thing was there was some hip hop parties going on out here, but it was like, and, and you can relate to this from even some of the shit we did in Boston too, where like you go in and everyone knows each other and it's the same people every time. Yeah, yeah. And my shit was like, I wanted to spread it am amongst the people, you know what I mean? So I'm really trying to upgrade it. So might, might do another one before the end of the year, you know, might bring it back at the top of next year and really come out with a bang. Um, got some big goals for who I want to book for it. Um, but yeah, man, so far put on like, you know, over 45 different DJs Shit. started, started incorporating, um, performances from rappers at the last couple. Mm -hmm. Um, are the DJs yeah. all from like Atlanta or Georgia or are they from like other regions of the country cities? The large majority of them are based in Atlanta. Um, you know, have had a couple people from out of town, like I said, you know, Mr. Peter Parker, you know, our longtime homie that we came up with in Boston, based out of Minneapolis right now, he flew in for the last one. Yeah. And it's just on the DJ's end, man, I just find that like, you know, they're so enthusiastic just to have the opportunity to play yeah. this type of hip hop, man. It's like- it's, So it's I was gonna ask sad, you- the, night, the nightlife is a sad state of affairs, man. And it's just, I, I'm just trying to set the example with this night and, you know, I, I want people to copy off of it. I, I hope that I hope it shows other DJs to where it's like, yeah, you can, despite what any promoter or venue owner or any industry motherfucker tells you, like, yeah, you you can establish your own identity, and there's gonna be if you build it, they will come. I know it's cliche, but it's definitely true. Well, like in a in a city like Atlanta, and it's got a rich hip hop history. I think a lot of people identify Atlanta with like you know crunk music or trap music or or, or whatever. How are people receiving or taking this this night you're doing, which is kind of not that music at all? And not to say there's not regional artists that might have that sound, but you know the majority of of music down there, at least that's birthed there, isn't that sound? Are are the fans or the people the the, the people coming to the, sh the gigs are they digging it? Like how are the people feeling about it? Is it you know? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and that's a great question. Um... That's the only you know, kind of I've The only kind of questions I have are great, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I brought it, you know, I had one of my homies, Auburn Ave, who performed at the last one. He's from Old Fourth Ward, same What's neighborhood as uh, Pill. Oh, I didn't remember with Pill. I, fuck with, I used to really yeah, like, like, around, I liked him. He was dope. Yeah, and, and you know, and even introducing that uh, performance and after the fact, I was like, you know, when I call this shit the only boom bat party in Atlanta, it's like this shit, it's not a, this isn't an East Coast party. This isn't an up North party. Like 
boom bap is not limited it's not a new york boston party like we got sty high we got killer mike we got you know two chains who has an absolutely incredible boom bap album with static in the can like it's gonna shock people when it comes out so it's like i'm 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 very delicate with the marketing in that sense um and i'm also just blessed to be in the position of like i've been in atlanta for 15 years now and you know i started it in 2018 and you know i didn't come down here in 2007 with an attitude of like i'm gonna change the climate of atlanta and i'm gonna you know shove this up top shit down y'all throats pause like you know i got i got booed i got booed the first time i dj'd in atlanta at this little hood spot on lakewood avenue by the dungeon and like i did come in there playing a whole bunch of Mob Deep and D-Block and Wu-Tang shit. And motherfuckers like, God damn, Shawty, like, where the Kilo Ali at? Where the boot? And, like, shit that I had never even heard of. And then that forced me to educate myself on where I'm at. And it's just like, you know, I know people associate me and put me in this box of, like, you know, Mr. Boom Bap, Mr. East Coast. But it's like, I paid a lot of respect to the Southern shit. And, you know, I did the trap shit, too. Like, I did the strip clubs. I I did ratchet shit. I did the trap shit. I felt like the climate of that 10, 15 years ago was, I think the creatively and artistically, the bar was a little higher. I agree. I think the, night, I think the nightlife was a lot more fun, but I agree with at that. the time, at the time when I was even doing that, I also made sure that like, you know, I was DJing the Slaughterhouse show out here, the Slum Village show out here, like, you know, Kendrick Lamar's first show out here, Dom Kennedy, like, yeah. I always made sure I had go-to building up my right when like when a gig like that comes to town, you're like one of the guys they know. Okay, we got to get kerosene for this one, right? Yeah, and that was my goal from back then. And like you know, it's been a team effort. You know, my, I'll, most of these shows I host with my partner Fort Knox, legendary host in Atlanta. Um, shout out my man Brandon from Speakeasy Promotions. Like mo- most of the shows you see me on nowadays, like nine times out of ten, you know they've been booked by him. But it's just you know, th- this year so far, we've done Rome Streets, Sky Zoo. We got Bodie James coming up. Hell yeah. Um, and, and, you know, just like building it up like that, keeping the resume sharp. And my thing is just like to put in that work. I'm just trying to put numbers on the board. I'm not – I'll chop it up with you about the, the Nas album, but I'm not going to get in a 100-comment Facebook debate about this shit because I'm too busy putting numbers on the board. You know what I mean? I feel you, man. I think and then, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta ask you, Jake, cause this is kind of related, like with, uh, you know, just, just the, the Northern and the, and the Southern energy, man. Like there was so much I took away from this locks and dipset battle, man. And but just it, like, it was I, the most, uh, regionally, I wanted to bring up a point regionally <laughs> what I brought away from it to what? where, you know, there, there was a lot of my homies from down here, you know, weeks leading up to it, it was just all oh, Dipset got it easy. Oh. Dipset got got Dipset got bigger hits. Dipset got bigger club bangers, and you know, like Dipset always been played in the club down south. You know what I mean? And um, it was kind of like, you know, I didn't know that Dipset was that big down there. I guess maybe I know they're kind of outside of the the East Coast region. They get some love but I didn't know they would be getting a lot of love like that down there. But uh, I know the locks probably is more regional to the East Coast. 
Yo, yo. Yeah, I, I got you, Carol. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back. Uh, like me, you and I, like we were outside early, early 2000s. Oh, yeah. For that, that mixtape D block era and like mm-hmm. in Boston, like hard. The, there was cats down here that couldn't understand that, like, yo, Locks freestyle, Locks clue freestyles used to ring off. Yeah, they were the best. And I felt like that was, that was the same way where some of my Boston homies or up north homies leading up to the Gucci and Jeezy battle, mm-hmm. like, their takes weren't really valid on that because there was joints that, you know, they would offer their opinion before the battle, and then they did the battle, and Gucci would have songs like Vet Pass By or something that I'd see these same people like, yo, I'd, I'd never heard that song. What is that? But it's like, little do you know that at the time that he dropped that, that was like a club fucking banger in Atlanta, like f- turn the room upside down. So I think like there, there was a hyper, a sense of hyper regionalism mm. to that battle that, uh, that I enjoyed because, you know, we're, we're up north dudes. But then I was just very, I was proud to, see people get put on and, and learn a little more like yeah you know I'm, I'm not i'm not one of them motherfuckers like like we know who's who we know who's been showing support before it was cool to but i'm not mad if some young people catch on to jada kiss now all of a sudden like good for him, you know? yeah you know what i mean what did you think about the whole like uh rapping over your vocals kind of controversy that like dipset did and they got a lot of crazy i didn't watch it but i know about the, the you didn't watch it bro Yo. Oh, I don't, I'm like, I don't watch much, like, I, it's, I don't know, my schedules are wild, like, I don't know when things are, and if they are, and I'm not ready to do it, you know, I'm, but I, I paid attention to the aftermath, and like, it was the vocal rapping over vocals, rather, that was like, you, a lot you, you'd enjoy it, man, I'd highly recommend it, you'd enjoy it, um, yeah, man, it's just, Locks Molly whopped him, man, like, yeah, just yeah. On, on, a, on a performance, performance level, craftsmanship level, camaraderie level, yeah. And I just think, you know, a lot of people, especially people who weren't up north at the time, underestimated, you know, the love and support that, you know, that D-Block shit gets. You know what I mean? A lot, they do have a lot of hits, too, because you got to think, they're going back to the Bad Boy era, through the Rough Rider era, through all the solo hits. Like, they have a lot of joints, you know what I'm saying? Like, they have a lot of bigger joints that they're giving credit for. Yeah, and like... They just take it seriously, man. They're a well-oiled machine, and it's like I DJed a, I DJed a lock show down here in Atlanta um, a few years ago, and I just remember even at Soundcheck, their road manager was was testing the mics out for like an hour straight, man. Just oh, like a lot of artists don't do anything. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, but I mean, he knew. I mean, to the degree that he was asking the sound man like what the decibel level was and where the where the treble knob was, it's like, all right, these cats take this like super serious, you know what I mean? I respect that, dude, I really do. Especially if like, I wanna go see an artist and I'm gonna spend money and I like them, I really want them to put on a show. I want them to take it seriously too. And so when you hear that shit, it makes me like, yeah, you just didn't roll in last minute drunk, rap over your vocals, be lazy. Cause nobody paid to see that shit. You wanna see people take it serious. I like hearing that shit, it's nice. Yeah, man. It's cute, yeah, man. Kerosene, uh, before this podcast had asked me when we was talking, he's like, yo, can we talk about the, uh, the S words, the S words? Oh, yeah, yeah. man. That's an, and it's, and the S doesn't stand for segue, but that was a good one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't stand for snake man either. Uh, 
So kerosene and, and myself and uh, our friend Prof Bundy are, you know, in a, a meme thread or something like that. And I think I sent I sent a meme link. You, yeah, you tell it, tell it. I sent a meme. It, it was like I don't know, one of these like reels or TikTok videos or whatever they are. Like, and uh, and it's something like like a shark, like a shark was smelling blood. So so the dude starts throwing up like crip gang signs underwater, and, and, and the shark swims away. And we put it in the thread, and and uh, Jake is like, "Hey man, like n- n- like that's not funny, Carol. Like no, <laughs> th- th- there will be no talk of the S word around here." And I'm like, I, I, "I'm I'm assuming that it has something to do with with the surfing, or you, or you had a close encounter like that. That definitely sounds traumatizing. If that's the case, or am I completely off?" No, like well, like uh, that's like some surfing slang for for sharks. S words mean sharks. And I don't mm. even like to say the word, but the, the, sometimes in surfing they refer to them as the S words or the man in the gray suit is another one. Ooh. And and the I think the rationale is, and I practice this, is to not say the actual word because when you're out there, you just gotta kind of just make sure your mind never thinks about it. You just block it out. You just basically lie to yourself. You pretend they don't exist while you're out there. And I have a lot of friends who like don't surf and their fear of is 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 that. And they're like, I could never do it. I'd be scared. Of, you just got to block it out. So I don't watch Jaws. I don't watch Shark Week on Discovery Channel. I don't even say the word. I don't want to look at any photos of that shit. I just pretend like they don't exist so I can sit out in the water for two hours and not like be freaking in my mind, you know? You just don't want to manifest it. But you, like, you, you never had a close encounter? Uh, I was in two. Uh, there's a chapter in my new book coming out where I, I talk about this. So I won't go in depth. But I was in... This is weird. This is crazy. I was in two boat accidents back to back, eight, nine years old in the same ocean in the, in the Caribbean between Nevis and St. Kitts. And it's like, it's black water. It's dark as fuck. I mean, it's so deep. You couldn't even fathom how deep it is. And it is shark infested. And there's people who've been bit there. I didn't see any at that time, but I'm a little kid and I've heard these stories and I know that. So the whole thing is when we're like swimming, just don't look down because you just don't want to even then you don't want to think about it. So I never like encountered it then, but it was, I was in a place where it could have happened because people have been eaten there. Mm. Yeah. And then I've been surfing probably like six times. Maybe I've seen one, but it's, it's kind of a far, you, you see it breach. That's how you see it. You never see the, the fin pop out. Like in the movies, it's like, it jumps out all the way. And it's much different than a dolphin's fin. You can tell you see dolphins right. all the time. And they're usually like three or four of them. I've seen it a few times, but never, never too close. And usually you get out of the water or you don't, you know, you sit around and still surf, but you just pretend like it don't exist. So I just deny the existence. I basically like a, what are those people like, you know, like a Holocaust denier, but, but for fucking the S word. Sharks. Yeah. Okay, okay. And I, I, for the record, I'm not a Holocaust denier at all, but I just pretend like the S words don't exist because there's been a couple of times when I've been out there and it got into my brain and dude, you just, you just start going crazy. You're like, oh man, and you just gotta get out. Yeah, like the adrenaline. There was one time, man. This was uh, a few years ago. I was snorkeling out in Hawaii, and um, I'd be getting a little reckless with it, man. Like going hundreds and hundreds of yards out. Okay. And and the water's pretty clear. Yeah. And you know, I get out to where like you can't see any coral anymore, but like it's maybe, twenty maybe, feet deep or something, maybe. Maybe maybe like fifty feet, man. Oh, but like you can oh, see to. Jacusteau. Look at you. You can see right? to the bottom though. Like yeah. you can still see to the bottom. And then man, I remember I'm out there and like see like this shadow like 
maybe like 30, 40 yards. You can, like, you can see 50 feet down, but maybe you can only see 30 yards in front of you. Yeah. Big-ass shadow, man. Yeah. And the shit ends up being like a, a big-ass manta ray. Oh, you know okay. I mean? Yeah, but those are wild, too, though. Which was super dope, but then, like, right when it first happens, it's like, oh, dude. Yeah. If this is some, if this, this is something else, then I'm fucked. You know what I mean? I, I one time when I was a kid in the West Indies, I, I stepped into this, this little bay by our crib, you know, and it's, it's a little murkier because it's the bay, even though the oceans are pristine. So it's sandy. And I'm like, you know, up to my shins. And I step in and like right from, because there's the, there's the manta rays and the stingrays. And it's the stingrays, the one that can kind of like go under the sand. It doesn't go under yeah. the sand, but like right there. The shit was like between my fucking legs, dude. Just like popped up and like swam away. Like, oh, could have stepped on that motherfucker. It's like, oh, <laughs> shit. But those things will freak out. I've swam with like barracudas. I've petted whale sharks when I'm surfing, but those are harmless. But it's the it's other shark. No, it's not. Whale shark is like more whale. It just eats like plankton and shit. It's harmless. Um, but it's the other things that are kind of whatever. So I just pretend like that shit ain't, it ain't there you know, in my mind. But I won't watch anything to do with that shit. Like I don't look at the shit. I don't watch the memes. If I'm scrolling on fucking Instagram and I see some part, I just keep going, dude. I don't want to see a frat boy with a shark tooth necklace partying with fucking Pat's blue ribbon. I don't want none of that. I mean, I know you're probably like, I know you probably don't watch TV either, so you don't have to put up with like Shark Week commercials. Yeah. And oh, like I that. was watching some shit on like a some streaming app that has commercial. It might have been a, something on Discovery that had like little commercials, and they were advertising that shit. And I was like, yo, dude, I like had to just step out the room during those ads. Can't do it. Which is funny because when I was younger, before I surfed, I would watch that shit all day. Did, did, were you getting um any surfing in when you when you were on those long Mex Mexico road trips? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not as much as I wanted to, but definitely. Yeah, there's so much good surfing down there. So when I could get out for sure, and I've surfed like all through there. There's so many places and shit. So yeah, definitely, definitely. When, when when's the next uh, road trip or when's the when's the next like tour work? Like when when's the next time you and I had uh, I had a tour offered to me at the end of this month going into the fall and I turned it down because I have some other things going on that are more beneficial. I would stand to lose more than I would gain from doing the tour. And like, you know, you go away for five, six, seven weeks. It's, it's tough on a relationship if you have one. So I've been trying to get out of that game and I've got other things blossoming that I want to do. Um, and then I got offered another tour in the fall and I haven't said yay or nay, but I don't know. But I do want to make my way down to your neck of the woods, uh, you know, Get all, I'm going to skip the summertime in Atlanta. They'll come in the fall or the winter when it's not so fucking humid. Yeah, the year's fucking flying by, man. Dude, everything flies by, dude. Time is crazy. That's but, why I, I mean, to think about it. In the event that, I mean, we, we touched, we, we ain't, we ain't going to dig too deep, but, you know, we touched on it before the, the, the broadcast where, uh, you know, you and I share the same stance on, like, Things we don't... We don't have the answers. We're not the experts on this shit. Like, I have predictions. I have feelings about what's going on as far as this COVID shit and all that. But I don't really – I'm not a fan of the divisiveness. I'm not, yeah. I'm not a fan of, like, you know, preaching it to anyone else. Or I don't know what's going to go on. But in the event that it does get shut down again, which I would not be surprised yeah. if it does eventually, I'm hopping back on this uh, – this IG live shit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do another. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do another 24 hours straight, Jake. You know what I mean? You're a crazy man, dude. That's it. To, to stay up 24 hours is hard anyway. To DJ 24 hours is 
It's kind of like Guinness Book shit almost, dude. You're like the uh, supernatural of DJ, and instead of freestyling for eight hours, you DJ for 24. Yeah, man, I got a... I should have like wrote to, I did 26 hours straight, man, and, and didn't play one song twice. Bro, but. I would rather listen to anybody DJ 26 hours than somebody freestyle for eight hours. That's, kind of, <laughs> that's like, we've had friends when you're like young and high and like that one friend is not even your friend, like keep freestyling and like, oh, shut the fuck up. Some house party shit. Oh, dude, like, I don't, I'm trying to talk to this girl or whatever. Like, I don't want to hear you rap, but I would, I would watch or listen to a, you DJ because at least it's music that I like, you know? Not some. Yeah, and like, the, the homies would be, they would see me DJing, knock out, go to sleep, wake back up. It's like, oh, kerosene is still on here. That's crazy, dude. Maybe it's like you're like a, you have like a, not a body devil, but like a robot devil, like a Terminator or something, you know? I wish I did, man. Half, halfway through that shit, I was like, I think like 11 hours in, I was like, this shit was a horrible idea. Like, I'm, I'm not going to make bottle? it. Where did you piss? In a bottle? No, I'm just bathroom oh, 20 feet away like just put on a long song run over there but like you know at that time you know last year during quarantine like i did a little series i would call it like stimulus saturdays you too and, um, the girl would listen to you when you were we were in mexico we were putting your shit on the shit and just chill. Work, you're looking out man and fucking um yeah like shit like that that was the dope part about it like you know the people not in atlanta who don't have the opportunity to come out and hear me in person could hear me so it was a way, way bigger yeah. reach, reach as far as the audience, you know, being able to, like I said, get drunk at home and then just <laughs> knock out two seconds later. And then you know, the, best, yeah. the absolute best part was just 100% freedom physically and creatively. And then, you know, very graciously being able to make money from it. Yeah. Um, now, I wasn't, I'm not a fan of the whole like virtual shit and us all day and like, you know, kind of like the the imaginary role play shit, like in the comments, like, hey, I'm going to the bar. <laughs> so and so like I'm not into all the pretend shit. Yeah. Um, I wish I could just play the music, but um Stimulus Saturdays, it was just becoming like a regular habit of mine to uh, you know, I'd go eight hours, nine hours, ten hours, and um That's nuts. There, there was like, you know, there's a few months in at this point and like, like, I think I started at 10 p.m. And uh, I think it was a Friday this time. And then, like, a few hours in, people in the comments, like, yo, Carol, like, you going 10 hours tonight? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, man, going 24 hours. And it was just as simple as me saying it out loud, like, and with people there to hear it. It's just, I don't know, it's just something with how my brain works, man. It's like, once I put it out there, yeah, I held crazy. myself to it. Where I'm like, All right, I said it publicly. Now I have to do it. I do it um, yeah. 11 hours in, 11 hours in, I was just like wiped out. I pulled a chair up to the turntables. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is the worst idea. And, uh, <laughs> and then it starts, it starts pouring rain outside. And like my windows is like right next to the turntables. And, uh, I was like, I don't know, just a switch went off. I'm getting creative. And I did one hour straight of only songs that had rain, the word rain in the song title. And then I did like an hour straight of only Roots reggae songs. Yeah. And I did an hour straight of only samples. And it, it got the creative wheels turning. And then I was drinking like a fucking maniac. And um, yeah, the, the, the second wind just... <laughs> came tumbling through and by 18 19 hours in i was just 
I was a fucking animal, man. You were like possessed by some like powerful DJ spirit. And it's crazy, you're talking about, you know, predictions and shit. With your fucking beard and hair, bro, you, you look like you should be in a cult giving predictions. You look like David Koresh's older, cool cousin, dude. Like, yeah. yeah. I look like I should be forging the shards of the, of the crystal together and, and fucking... Aligning some know, But my beard, my beard stops here. Like, I've had the beard for I don't know how many years now. And, like, I've shaven it off a couple times. And then it'll only take me, like, five months to get to here. And then it just stops. So there's that issue, but then with the with the hair, man, like, like you know, I rocked the fade, I rocked the John B for like two decades straight, man. Like, I had I had I had braids, I had braids in college back in Boston, but you know, I don't I don't really think it's the proper climate for me to be running around with braids right now. But you know, at the, at the beginning of quarantine, it just started off as. All right, we're not going anywhere. Don't need a haircut. Then it turned into, all right, let me save my money. Then it turned into a degree of, like, let me just try and let go of my vanity a little more. Like, not take it so serious. Like, there's so much emphasis now on people just, I don't know, just selling, getting to where they need to get to just strictly based off what they look like. And on some DJ shit, I just started being on some, let me get, let me do it off what I sound like and what I actually play. Yeah. So, man. you know, start getting on some like, you know, vanity kill sanity shit. Oh. Then I actually just started, then I started liking how it looks. And now I'm like, I might never cut it again in my life. Going because you know what? The next time I see you in Atlanta, you might have like 30 followers. And I don't mean Instagram followers. I mean like your cult followers listening to your prediction. <laughs> white robes. I'll come with a white robe. It'll be fantastic. Prof Bunny brings the Kool-Aid. Boom. We're all. 